0: Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm Pleased to have on as our guest Dr. Nazanin Moali. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and an AASCCT certified sex therapist. Her private practice is located in Torrance and she specializes in working with couples and individuals struggling with issues of sex and intimacy. She hosts the weekly podcast called Sexology, introducing the most intriguing findings in psychology of sex and intimacy. Welcome, Dr. Nazanin.
1: Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I am having
0: you on because I wanted to have a guest come on my podcast to talk a little bit about sex therapy and maybe to demystify what that is and how you work kind of within that modality of practice. And so I think the first question I have is what is sex therapy?
1: Great question. I feel like most people, they know what is like usual traditional therapy look like. But when it comes to sex therapy, that can be confusing for some people. So what it entails is kind of, it's going to be focusing on your sexual wellness and sexual health. So mm-hmm. usually sex therapists are a licensed psychologists, licensed mental health providers who receive additional training on sexual wellness. Because I know that I did many, many years of graduate school, but I remember I only had one class in sexual wellness. So these are the professionals that they receive additional training in sexual well-being, sexual dysfunctions. They're all they told the story of how I got into this field. I also struggled with sexual wellness. And I didn't even as a graduate student, I didn't know sex therapy exists. So when I struggled, my partner and I we went to couples therapies and we went to couples therapy for several months. Our relationship got better but the challenge remains. And I was like, oh God, there's nothing I can do. Like I, I love my partner, but this is the challenge that is not going away. And it wasn't until I discovered sex therapy that I, I was able to address the issue with a few sessions. Mm. So what sex therapy is usually, at least the practice I do, it's more solution focused. So uh, we're kind of addressing where is the challenge, where is this issue is coming from and how can we address it right now? So sometimes it's better if people do some homeworks in between session. One of the misunderstanding is that people kind of wonder if there's going to be touch involved. No, it's a form of therapy. So people coming in, talking about their challenges, and as a sex therapist, I'm familiar with the recent funding in addressing these challenges, one of some of the recent research protocols on how we can tackle this. And we talk about it, We clients and I, we come up with ways to address this. And it could be, again, practices you can do in between sessions, or sometimes it's rooted in your past. So talking about those previous experiences and memories and addressing it in our session can also be very useful. Got it.
0: And I think you brought up this question that I sometimes think about and wonder about is what is the difference or overlap between couples therapy and sex therapy?
1: Well, ideally as a sex therapist, you need to know about couples therapy. It's like one of my mentors, this guy is like hilarious. He was saying that being a couples therapist, but not doing sex therapy is like if you're a plumber and you're not working on plumbing of their toilet. (laughs) So because sex is such an important part of a relationship, but in order for therapists to help couples A, it's important to be comfortable talking about these things i know many of the colleagues they have their own struggle of talking about this and on top of that being informed about if the couples or individuals bringing up these issues how can we tackle this? What are some of mm-hmm. the ways that we can address it? So as sex therapists, most of us are trained in doing couples therapy. I believe personally that for most couples, sexual wellness is the big part of the relationship and it's important to address. So we're gonna, as a sex therapist, we're working on helping the relationship if that's, there's a challenge there, but also helping people to connect sexually as well. Um, mm-hmm. Again, some people are not comfortable Addressing sexual challenges, some couples therapists, they don't have the experience, but ideally you need to be familiar with what's working in couples therapy in order to do sex therapy.
0: Right. And I think of maybe three different groups, right? So there's the couple that comes in with, they feel that they have a strong relationship, not a lot of conflict within the relationship, but there's just this thing missing in terms of the sexual functioning and well being in the relationship. And then maybe there's these couples with conflict, not only in kind of many different aspects of the relationship and sex ends up being just one of those aspects. So that's another group. And then there's another group maybe, and maybe you don't see this group of people who have kind of a healthy healthy sexual relationship, but a lot of conflict in other parts. Right. I love that you come
1: up with these three categories because as a sex therapist, I get all of those three calls. (laughs) Mm. So I, I think with the last call that the people, the relationship is struggling, I oftentimes refer people out because in order to do sex therapy, any kind of sex therapy, we require to have a good enough relationship. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. as you said, Mm -hmm. that sometimes if the relationship, there's been ruptures, the sexual challenges are a byproduct of what's going on outside the bedroom. So I feel like they're wonderful couples therapists, that that's their focus. For example, I sometimes couple post betrayal, like right after a discovery, they struggle sexually and that's can understandable because there is a kind of rupture because of the betrayal people are adjusting with the information they get and it's not necessarily a challenge with sexual wellness of the relationship the issue mostly comes from the relationship component the first group right. that you talked about that they have a good relationship but they are struggling sexually they are often are the best candidate for sex therapy because they have a good enough relationship that they can work on the sexual wellness. And I see a lot of that. I see different group of people that they land on that place. So Mm -hmm. one group is that people who were interested and they had good enough sex life until uh, later in their relationship, whether sometimes postpartum or after having children or after something happening in the relationship and they drifted apart, whether there was a kind of significant reason, like sometimes the medical reason, sometimes the childbirth, or sometimes it could be like our life becomes busy and sex is no longer a priority. And oftentimes I see that somewhere there, one of the partners struggled with some sexual dysfunction. And because of that, then the couple have been avoiding sex. And these are all the things that we work with couples in the session to address. Okay.
0: So this idea that, I mean, I guess one question is, so what are some typical issues that are brought in as the presenting issue, the main reason why they come in, and I am sure it's much more complicated than just that one issue, but what are some kind of typical reasons why people would say, okay, I think I should see a sex therapist?
1: Well, one that I see often is desire uh, discrepancy, Couples coming in Mm. because they haven't been intimate because they feel like they have different sexual appetite. And that could be for a number of different reasons. Sometimes there is some resentment, frustration in the relationship, and that leads to that. Sometimes it's just a matter of having different appetites that are kind of like our physiology is different and we Mm. kind of work through what can we do to help couples to develop good practices to have better sexual experiences. So that's one category of couples I see. Another group are Individuals that uh, so I, I see many women with all sorts of presenting issue. One of some of the couple, common one is low desire that uh, women coming in sometimes post menopause or after childbirth that their desire is lower or for a number of different reasons their libido decreased. That's one of the kind of reasons that people seek out sex therapy. The other thing is like orgasmic challenges. So some women it's really hard for them to experience orgasm. They either never experience orgasm or with the partner, they're not able to experience orgasm. And I always tell people it's a skill that we're going to work on, learning what we can do to tackle it. Sometimes it could be some medical reason contributing to people's having that those issues. But oftentimes there are many, many psychological factors contributing to that. Also, another possibility is when people are coming in for when sex is painful. Could be possibly some medical reasons, which we'll always refer out, but oftentimes there could be a host of number of different reasons that a woman develop this challenge and it can really impact their sexual confidence. It can impact their overall well-being. And then sometimes I see it impacts the relationship. So those are the common ones. The other category are people who are coming in after experiencing trauma, So many of my clients are trauma survivors, and I'm so at awe often that how well they recovered from the trauma experience, but because of the kind of sexual assault they experience, their relationship with their sexuality has been impacted. Mm -hmm. And together, we work on helping them regain that power. Right. So, I mean, there
0: are so many different interventions depending on these very specific issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And so are the interventions, I'm sure it's a hybrid, but are the interventions more through talk or through basically kind of giving people tools, concrete
1: tools to conquer these issues? Great question. So we always start with, a, I always start with the comprehensive history taking to see uh, we are going in this journey of examining what's happening. So if yeah. sometimes the issue is kind of some of these beliefs and stories that we learned during our childhood, and it's really important to tackle those beliefs and stories and challenge them. And I do lots of sex education. Mm-hmm. I feel like the field of sex therapy is one of those fields in many Mental health that we really need to give people lots of good sex education because many of my clients they never received the education that they needed. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the only sexual education they received was through porn. And I tell people that I don't necessarily see anything wrong with porn, but it's not a sex ed So it's really important to give them lots of good psychoeducation, helping them to change their sexual story and that's very important and sometimes depending on what unfolds then we can help people to cultivate skills so if they they never had kind of learned experience, how to experience orgasm i teach them skills that they can become comfortable in their body we do lots of embodiment exercises. At, at times we do kind of like a somatic training in the body. At times I help people to kind of like practice different forms of mindfulness practices. And sometimes we ask the couple, like the partner to come in or in the context of couples therapy, we can help people to find a solution together. Obviously I gave them lots of tools and strategies And these are some of the stuff that you can use to tackle this, but uh, big components, of it is also kind of like practicing what we were talking in therapy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think when someone goes to a sex therapist, they have to feel comfortable enough to be able to be open about that and share with somebody who they don't know who's the therapist, right? But but I think the role of the sex Mm -hmm. therapist is to make someone feel comfortable being able to talk about that, right? But they wouldn't come through the door if they didn't feel comfortable to some degree, at least, And I'm sure there's a lot of people who could probably, yeah, who could use it, but would never go because it feels so scary to them.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I know many of my clients are coming from my podcast. They listen to my podcast. They read my content. They develop mm-hmm. some kind of a relationship because you're right that there is tons of a stigma around mental kind of receiving any form of mental wellness. And on top of that, going to sex therapy, the can therapists can be very intimidating and being very uncomfortable. Right. So you're right that it, it requires additional support or additional layer right. of uh, encouragement. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's talk about your podcast
0: because I think that's actually a very important topic. To talk about because in a way it allows people who maybe feel some shame around it to be able to just listen and to kind of educate themselves a little bit more and in a way sex therapy is it's actually a really great tool to reach people through kind of an anonymous podcast that you could just listen to so what type of
1: topics do you focus on? Well, my focus is science of sex and pleasure. I started it because I felt I was doing a lot of psychoeducation with all individuals and couples in my practice because part of my training was like always, regardless of the presenting issue, ask people about their sexual wellness. So whether you're coming to me for uh, eating disorder or depression, I always ask people permission that is that okay if I ask you about your sexual wellness, because that's Mm. such an important part of our health. And almost everyone is welcoming that. And I was finding myself doing lots of psychoeducation in the sessions. I was like, okay, let's do a podcast. So Mm. I'm providing this information to my clients and I'm not necessarily kind of spending our session doing that. And that's how I develop my podcast. So I talk about a range of different topics, but I'm coming from a more conservative background. So as the listeners can hear from my accent, I'm Iranian. I grew up in Iran and I felt like I, myself, I didn't get enough information about sexual wellness. So that's, that's been my mission to help individuals and right. couples who want to have good enough sexual experiences to have some resources. So there are tons right. of podcasts and kind of like information out there that focus on how you can have this very kind of like wild sexual experiences. And I think those are great as well. But my listeners are everyday couples and individuals that they are interested in kind of like augmenting and improving their sexual experiences because I feel sexual rights is part of our human rights. And I, I strongly believe that everyone deserves to have a strong relationship with their sexuality. Right. And by
0: the way, it's called sexology, which I don't think we, we had mentioned earlier. <laughs> so, you know, another topic that I'm wondering about, so you're talking about seeing couples that come in and you're also talking about seeing many women who come in talking about kind of hypoactive sexual desire, so low mm-hmm. sexual desire. And not that it, that's just females. I'm sure there's are males that come in to talk about that as well. But you know, I'm also thinking about a different group of. I mean, I think of men in general, mm-hmm. but I mean, it could also be women who maybe have had a lot of experience with maybe looking at porn at a young age, mm-hmm. right? or maybe not, but a kind of feeling that that also has shaped their idea about sexuality. Mm. And as adults, it makes it actually much harder to be able to become intimate with somebody in real time, in real life, or maybe just in general, maybe not a history of kind of watching porn during younger years, but maybe also just when they're kind of coming into adulthood, not being able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Do you seek clients
1: like that, or yes, yes? And I, I, again, I feel so passionate. Also, working with male clients as well, because what's happening? You're right that especially newer generation, porn is very accessible, and parents are very uncomfortable talking about sex. So many of my male clients they got their sexual information from porn, and how people is like drive, like when you want to learn driving, learning it from like Fast and Furious. So it's not like a driving ad. And so they're misinformed they're misinformed about their body they're misinformed about how if they are in a heterosexual relationship what connected sex look like so all of these things are are the important things that as a sex therapist i talk to them about that we talk about what are some of the myths that they learn about their sexuality because you know the expectations some men have about their body and they get shocked even when they're younger that like if they have at times struggles with maintaining And I tell them, like, every uh, machine or tool that you use on every day, there are going to be at times, there are going to be some challenges. And that's completely Mm -hmm. normal. So, again, just this myth and misconceptions that many men have around their body and also what is a successful sexual experience. Because one of the common questions I get from my clients and individuals who are calling from, uh, like, listeners from my podcast is that I want to be able to last longer. And the first question I have for them is that, have you asked your partner if that's something that he or she wants? Because longer intercourse doesn't mean that it's going to be a better sexual experience. So all these the stories that we have about what is a good good enough sex looks like, it's important to talk about it with your partner and also explore it yourself. And what do I want more of? And how? what are other ways that can help me achieve that? Huh. Yeah. So also what you talk
0: about, you talk about these tips to listeners about 101 ways to keep your relationship hot.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes. You know, what I discovered in my practice was that when I was like talking to the couples that at times they are struggling with their desires is that what have you guys been experiencing and experimenting with? And oftentimes a common narrative that I hear is that people saying that, you know, early on, I asked my partner, would you be interested to do this? And the partner said, No. And the other partner said, I'm not really into that. So we've been having the same exact same sexual experiences for past mm. 25, 30 years. And I tell them like, you know, sometimes like I, I we make this joke of like having leftover sex. So it's hard to have the same experiences for years and years that really kind of takes away the novelty out of the mm. relationship. And especially for my female clients, the context is very important. So sometimes when my clients feel they have low desire, it's not really low desire when we're talking about it. The sex is no longer exciting because the context is no longer exciting and sexy for them. So I developed Mm -hmm. this list of number of different things that people can connect so they can improve their kind of context. They can increase novelty in the relationship because sometimes even with introducing different kind of position, different context, different ideas ideas, we can connect with our eroticism easier. And it's divided in three levels because not everyone have the same level of desires and wants and adventure that they want to incorporate in the relationship. The level one is for individuals that they, they are more conservative, and but they're just looking for ideas. And then level two and three is for people who are more adventurous. But I, I hear from my clients that when they incorporate some novelty, they get surprised how that can change that dynamic.
0: Right. Earlier on you were talking about different reasons for dysfunction, sexual dysfunction in relationships. And you talked about maybe there's a trauma or there is a rupture in fidelity or something like that. But the other when you were talking about that, I also thought, you know, another reason could just be passing of time and monotony, right? Mm-hmm. And so I mean I think that's probably a big reason why people talk about low sex drive. And so these tips are kind of for people to kind of think about ways to have novelty and to kind of make it more interesting and, and exciting
1: for them absolutely and i think novelty again it's it's important to have some novelty in the relationship and um, Mm -hmm. because what happens if we're going through the same routine anything in life then your brain might check out and you might not be in Mm -hmm. tune in what's going on in this experience but i tell people to do some mindfulness practices and that's part of the list as well but again it's important to kind of think about what else i can do to anchor myself in this moment so and kind of incorporating few new things and the sexual experience can help you to do that
0: Mm. so how does someone access that i'll put a link to it too but is that available online yeah yeah they can just
1: uh, enter the information and it gets emailed directly perfect
0: Okay. Another, I mean, this is kind of, you know, I just thought of this too, you know, in terms of there is a mystery around sex therapy, I think, Mm -hmm. because I think there's just so much kind of surrounding sex and shame and things like that. What are some common myths that people have about sex therapy or what sex therapy is? I think that might be a good way for a listener to understand what sex therapy actually is.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So number one is people kind of worried about the touch. Like, you know, is there going to be touch involved? Do I need to remove my clothing? Because there are a subcategory of practitioners they call sexual surrogates. And sexual surrogacy is different than sex therapy, that there are going to be some touch involved. So the first thing that people, it can be reassuring for them to know that sex therapy is only talk therapy. I personally ask permission to kind of explore different parts of people's sexuality, and it's completely normal to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Many of my female clients and male clients haven't talked about these issues with anyone So this is going to be a kind of like a process of uh, kind of opening up and trusting me with this information. Mm -hmm. So it's completely okay to feel uncomfortable. The other myth that comes to my mind is that I'm alone. If I'm struggling, I'm the only one that's broken because everyone is having fantastic sexual experiences. I recently did this presentation. I did some research for that. And it was in the presentation, I found that the research shows that 40% of women, sometimes during their lifetime, they're going to struggle with sexual functioning issues. So they're going to have some sexual dysfunction and that's completely normal. I think what's important is to seek out help early enough that, so that would impact your self-esteem. It wouldn't impact your relationship because some of these solutions are relatively easy that we have found evidence-based practices to address this thing. So the sooner that people can tackle these issues, they can kind of like move forward with having the life they want the other myth that I hear that with aging, you're not going to be interested about having sex. And that's the one that makes me very frustrated <laughs> because a, I think that's a huge myth and comes from our culture. I have clients in all ages that they're having fulfilling sexual experiences. As long as you are focusing on your sexual wellness, then you're going to have good sex life in all of stages of your life. The other thought that like I hear about kind of myth that I hear is that shallow people are think sex is important. So people, whenever they're looking for a kind of like sexual solution, they feel, you know, like intellectual people are not focusing on sex. Sex is dirty. and But again, Mm. it's just sexual wellness plays a huge role in our mental wellness and overall well-being. And a World health organization in 2000, they came out with a statement saying that sexual wellness is very important. It's part of overall wellness. And they talked about various aspect of a healthy sexual experience they talked about number one consent and the other part they talked about is about mutual pleasure so like a healthy sexual Mm. experience is the one that's pleasurable for both parties. The other thing they talked about is about kind of like pregnancy prevention, STI prevention, because unfortunately many people are misinformed about what does it mean for me to have getting some kind of STI because they feel like that will end their sex life. And I know as a physician that, you know, there's tons of solution and treatment. So I can go about this all day. But these are the few things that comes to my mind that people, they're misinformed about what sex therapy is. Right. Well, the first one, going back to the first one about touch, the therapist does not touch you.
0: The therapist, it is talk therapy, but you were also talking about assignments that the couple Mm -hmm. might bring back. So it's not that they are touching each other in the session. Do you give them instructions on what to do? And then they report back, but it's all kind of a verbal report basically of what happened,
1: right? Absolutely. And what I do is kind of like during first session, we do assessment of where they are, because if I am assigned, them the homework, that's not a good fit for the couple. They're not going to go ahead and do that. And my goal is for them mm-hmm. to make progress. So the assignments are specifically tailored for their level of comfort, the challenges that they have, and the relationship quality that they have. I have couples that they haven't touched each other for years and years, and the assignment wouldn't be go home and have intercourse assignment would be kind of like some kind of a maybe hand-holding teach them kind of like eye gazing kind of tantric breathing so the assignments are very specific to people's challenges but yes Mm -hmm. if they're going to be assignment it's going to be the one that they'll do in comfort of their home and we always agree on what would feel comfortable for them right
0: I guess, I mean, I have so many questions about sex therapy and I think we could do like your podcast, right? You spend time on one specific topic. I guess I'm thinking about family of origin and culture Mm -hmm. and the idea of shame around sex. And I'm thinking about your background, mm-hmm. and I'm so curious about how you kind of find this balance between your culture and how frequently you talk talk about sex, right? And then another question I have is, as parents watching their children, and this is such a long, much a longer conversation, but kind of how to think about sex and parenting and guiding your children kind of thinking about that in a healthy
1: way. So those are two very specific <laughs> different question well I love that these are great questions because I feel what's important for us is to interrupt this kind of negative narrative around sexual health and sexual sexuality because as, as you mentioned that I I'm coming as, as we talked about I'm coming from an Iranian background I was born and grew up post-revolution during a, kind of like a Islamic environment my parents are not Islamic or they're not necessarily atheists, but like I grew in that environment. And so much of our sex education comes from the environment. And what I noticed, there are lots of commonality between where I grew up and many of the experiences of my clients here that many parents kind of lean into the negative narrative around sex because they were worried about their children. They wanted to make sure they're preventing pregnancy, kind of make sure they're protecting their children. So what I learned was good girls they don't have sex, they don't have sexual thoughts. And if you have sexual thoughts, you have to kind of repress it. It's completely not okay to masturbate. And there's all these negative messages around kind of like your, your relationship with your body. And there was lots of conflict for me growing up. And then what I learned that Okay, so sexuality is a big part of who we are. And our sexual energy, our erotic energy is connected to our creativity and well being. And the more that we are actually connected to our sexual energy, we are more kind of like showing up more as ourselves. So that was part of where I was coming from. And I felt that as I got more education around this, and I think at any education until I was like in undergrad, like the first sex that I got was during my undergraduate class. And I felt it was very transformative for me. So I feel there's lots of power in kind of even getting any kind of information. You talked about how to talk to our children about it. Uh, it's very, very important to start early and give age-appropriate information. When my clients asking me, what well, is so like as soon as like they're, even when they're babies and what we're doing when they're babies and toddlers, we teach them to like an appropriate name for our body part. So like I tell my clients or parents that please don't call like your child's body part, like a derogatory names or inaccurate names. As you are uh, cleaning them out, you can say like, I'm, I'm cleaning your vulva. So your kid learn about appropriate name of different body parts. So that could be part of it. Also teaching them about boundaries, that if you are, that's what's an okay touch and what's not an okay touch. One thing that I see at times that parents do that it's maybe kind of like, it's not useful is like, you know, when the kid doesn't want to kiss someone or hug someone, they kind of force them to do that. Like teaching kids that if this, you don't want to do that, like this is your body and you don't need to do that. So teaching these things early on and kind of having this conversation frequently can be very transformative. The Mm -hmm. other information that would be very important is about sexually explicit material. Because most children at some point will get exposed to sexually exclusive material. And I hear from parents that most of the time it's by accident. So you want to make sure you're preparing your kid. You can tell them as young as like eight or nine that you might come across this material. If you, when you find them, please come talk to me so we can have a conversation about this. So you're opening the door to that, and the kid knows that if they have questions, they can come to you, and they don't need to be scared of. So these are very important conversation. And you know, one of the fear that parents have that what if I start talking about this thing and my kid become sexual. But there was this research study that they found that parents who talk to their teens and their children, there was three years delay on onset of Mm -hmm. them becoming sexually active. So with giving your children and teens information, you're empowering them to make decisions about their sexual wellness that will help them long-term
0: right yeah we can have a whole conversation on kind of parenting (laughs) and fostering kind of positive sexual identity and thoughts but i guess that's for another time but yeah there's so many topics and i'm glad that we kind of sprinkled on a lot of them and i mean i learned a bit more about sex therapy and what it is i want to also make sure that we don't take too much time of yours but is there anything that you think would be
1: helpful before we wrap up to mention to the listener I want uh, your listeners to know that if you're struggling, that's completely okay. And there are tons of solutions out there. So my invitation for people is to kind of reach out and just kind of, first of all, read read kind of like different books, asking, uh, talking to their friends about it so they can get some resources. And then if the struggle is not resolved, you definitely seek out counseling for it. Because again, some of these challenges that my clients struggled for years and years and they kind of create this negative narrative in their mind can be addressed mm-hmm. within doing kind of few sessions of sex therapy. So my invitation for people is like, if you're struggling, you worth it and you need to take action on kind of addressing these issues.
0: Yeah, and the first step might be listening to some of your podcast episodes to get <laughs> well, a little
1: sense you. of kind of... <laughs>
0: Desensitizing sensitizing to the feeling of like uncomfortableness or shame around it, right? It's kind of
1: a good way maybe to start too. So. Absolutely. And with all any right. provider to see, you know, if the person is your, your right fit for what you need. But thank you for mentioning right. that. Of course.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate you being on and I think this is a great resource for the listener and I'll make sure all of your information available to them in the episode description. And thanks for being on tonight.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful.
0: Yeah. Take care. Bye. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.